There's power in the name of Jesus. We've heard testimony this morning of just exactly what that that power can and does look like. Um, And so this morning we're going to be looking at a text where we see the power of the name of Jesus in action and sometimes the uh, trouble that that gets the disciples into. And so I've entitled this morning's sermon, No Other Name, because it all revolves around the name Jesus. But before we get there, I want to tell you a a brief story um, from about 10 years ago about the worst driver in Ireland. Probably not where you thought I was going there. Um, But it's about the worst driver in Ireland. This happened probably about 2007, 2008, somewhere around in there. The country's booming at the time. The economy's doing well. We're seeing an influx of immigrants come into to Ireland because of the job situation. It's easy to find work. Um, there's this large um, influx of Polish immigrants, Eastern Europeans, and so they're there. Um, and it's about this time that um, police departments all over the country start noticing that the same guy keeps getting pulled over time after time after time. And so um, it's to the point where there's pretty much no traffic infraction that he hasn't committed at this point. We're talking about wrong turns. We're talking about speeding. We're talking about going too slow, even. Um, I mean, there's nothing. We're running red lights. We're turning when they shouldn't be. Everything that you can think of, um, this guy has done it, okay? And so, and the really bewildering piece is that it's not just in one part of the country. Like this guy, he must be really well-traveled because almost every police station in the nation has pulled him over. They all know who he is. And the, the, the name of this guy, his name is Pravo Yazdi. Pravo Yazdi has tickets in pretty much every borough in the nation of Ireland. And so they've pulled him over time after time, and it's to the point where he hasn't paid a single one of his tickets. And so eventually, they just get fed up, and they, they issue a nationwide warrant for his arrest. Okay, And so this is one of the most wanted guys in the nation of Ireland for all of these tickets. Now, here's the thing, though. Um, they're, they're talking about it, and somebody sees this on the news, and this, this person happens to speak Polish. And so he goes, and he talks to him. And he says, you know, you know who you just issued an arrest for, right? And they said, oh, do you know? Do you know where we can find Bravo Yazdi? And he said, well, not really, because you just issued an arrest for Mr. Driver's License. And they said, what? See, when all of these Polish immigrants would hand over their driver's license, well, they had their old driver's license. It was all in Polish. And right there at the top of every one of these people's driver's license was Polish for driver's license, Pravo Yazdi. And so they had the name wrong. Every Polish person that they pulled over, they wrote a ticket to Mr. Driver's License. So sometimes it's important that you get the name right, right? Sometimes you got to pay attention, and you've got to get the name right. And that's what we're talking about this morning. That's why we're looking at Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. And so I I invite you to turn there. I'm going to have it on the screen here behind me, but just to to set the stage a little bit, because we're coming in probably in, you know, act two or three of this whole, this larger story that's going on. Um, In the passage before this, in Acts chapter three, you see Peter and John, they're coming into Jerusalem, and Peter heals this man. He heals this beggar, okay? And so he stands up, and now he can walk when he hasn't been able to walk before. And he heals him in the name of Jesus, 
And after the man gets up, and after he's walking, and everybody sees that it's this guy, the guy that they know who can't walk, is walking, um, Peter stands up and does what Peter does after Pentecost. He delivers a sermon, a sermon in the name of Jesus, and people are listening. And so he's teaching, and these people are listening, and they're starting to respond. And it all is going well until the Sadducees catch wind. The Sadducees catch wind of exactly what's going on. And so the Sadducees come, and they round up Peter, and they round up John, and they throw him in jail. And they throw him in jail overnight until they can get the, the whole crew together. They can get the whole Sanhedrin together the next morning in order to hear their case. And that's where we come into in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5. So I invite you to, to listen, to follow along as we read the Word of God. It says this. <clears throat> The next day, so they'd spent the night in prison. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this, they asked him. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he quotes, Scripture, he quotes a psalm. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone, the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The word of the Lord this morning. So we see here, Peter and John are brought in and they're, they're set before the Sanhedrin. And this is uh, an artist's representation of what we think it might have looked like. Um, the Sanhedrin was a collection of 70 elders, chief priests, teachers of the law um, that, that settle court cases, that bring up the, the charges, they decide. And then there's also the 70, and then there's the chief priest. And now it's, it's worth pointing out that Luke here says that um, <clears throat> Annas was the chief priest at this time, although he actually wasn't. It was actually Caiaphas. But the way Luke is saying it, it's like we all know who the real power is. Annas is the power behind the power. So Annas wasn't technically the chief priest at this time. It was Caiaphas, who was Annas's son-in-law. Okay? So we see it's like it's still daddy calling the shots kind of deal. So Annas is the chief priest at the time. Caiaphas is the one that actually holds the seat. You can see the, the seat for the chief priest up there at the top. He's the one. So there's the 70 plus the one. Um, and then there's also John and Alexander. It's thought at this point in time that John is, is being groomed up to be the next chief priest who is also part of the family. So what we see here is we've got the power behind the power, the guy that is kind of the figurehead, and then the next guy in line, and they're all from the same family. So Luke is pointing out they know how to keep it in the family. All right? These are the same people, if you remember, that crucified Jesus. This is the same court, this is the same Sanhedrin that they brought Jesus before on the night of his arrest, before the crucifixion. And so it's this group that Peter and John come before, that they're in trouble for preaching the name of Jesus, who the same Jesus that they had crucified. And so they bring him in, and I can only imagine how intimidating this must be. The closest thing I could think of 
was when I had to go before my ordination board, and that was like seven people, right? One of which was a general superintendent. So, I mean, it was kind of intense, but it wasn't 71, right? Um, it's always intimidating to be the one person sitting on the side of a table of which there's a lot more other people on the other side, and you know they're just they're, they're grilling you, whether it's a panel interview for a job or whatever. There's just something intimidating about that, and I think they had it down to an art, right? I think 70 V2 or 71 V2 is kind of overkill, all right? But that's where they're at. They're drug in before the Sanhedrin after spending the night in jail. And so then they start quizzing them. And they say, so who is this Jesus? What is the name that you've done this in? And, and Peter, he, I mean, that's one of the good consistent things about Peter. He's bold and he don't back down, all right? Except for, you know, right before the crucifixion. But he runs his mouth, only now he's running his mouth with the help of the Holy Spirit, so it works out all right. And so he steps up and he says, it's the name of Jesus. So am I in trouble here? Are we in trouble for doing a good work to a man that needed it? All in the name of Jesus? And so they, the, the Sadducees find themselves in a tough spot. Because he says, he says, there's no other name on heaven or on earth under which mankind must be saved. It's interesting. What he's doing here, that isn't a phrase that Peter just came up with on the top of his head. He's quoting their money. There is a coin in circulation at the time with a picture of Caesar Augustus on it that says there is no other name under heaven or on earth by which mankind must be saved. Meaning Caesar. Meaning Augustus. And so Peter is quoting from the money. And he's saying, it's not Caesar, though, but it's not Augustus. It's Jesus Christ. That's the real name by which we must be saved. So he's setting himself up against the entire Roman Empire by saying, no, 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 no. They had it right up until the whole name part. There's true. It's only one name, but it's not Caesar and it's not Augustus. It's Jesus. So he's setting himself up against the Roman Empire, but he's setting himself up against these guys as well because these guys, they don't believe in Jesus. These are the guys that had Jesus crucified. They bring Peter in because he's teaching, one, and that he has the audacity to teach about Jesus. See, because the Sadducees, they would answer the name, yeah, and that name is Moses. That's who we would be saved by. He's the one that brought us the law, and it's the law that saves us. It's the law that makes us God's people. It's all about Moses. See, so he's setting himself up. Some would say Caesar, the 71 people in that room, would say Moses. That's the name under which we're saved. See, the, the Sadducees understood Moses and the law so, so sacrosanct. It was so important to them that they only followed the Torah. They only followed what we know as the first five books of the Bible, and they didn't follow anything else. By now, the, the, most of the Old Testament, a good chunk of it, has come together, and it is the Scriptures. Whenever you read of Jesus reading the Scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament. Except the Sadducees don't hold anything past Deuteronomy. For them, it's only the Torah. It's only the first five books. It's only the books of Moses. They only follow those books. And because in those first five books, there's no mention of a resurrection from the dead, they don't believe in a resurrection from the dead. They don't believe in an afterlife at all. And so the fact that Jesus comes, Jesus teaches, and not just from those first five books, and Jesus dies and de Jesus is resurrected, there's no room for Jesus in the Sadducee worldview. And then Peter comes along and says, no, 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 no. Jesus is the name by which we must be saved. And it's Jesus who was raised from the dead. So there's three strikes against him. He's preaching the name of Jesus, who taught from not just the first five books of the Bible, and then also claims that he was resurrected. That's three strikes as far as the Sadducees are concerned, and they want to put him out. See, 
Peter is setting himself up against not only the Roman Empire, but also the religious establishment of his day and age, when he has the audacity to say, Jesus is the only name. There's no other name but Jesus. And so I can't help, but for us to have, we have to ask the question for us today, what name are we preaching? What name are we saying it is by which we must be saved? We're, we're all here. We all have the same Bible in front of us, and so we all know what we're, how we're supposed to answer it. We all know the answer is supposed to be Jesus. But I have to ask, are we living that way? Are we living as if it's only Jesus that can and will save us? Or are we tempted to put our hope in other places? Now, I know we don't have no Caesars anymore, and thank goodness it's not just one family that holds all the political power, but we do suffer from that temptation. And so I would say, Let's, let's, let's get a little contemporary here. What's the name that we're tempted to say that it's only under the name of Trump? That it's only under the name of Obama? That it's only under the name of McConnell or Ryan or Pelosi that which we might be saved? See, these are the Caesars of our day, right? We just, we, thankfully, we get a vote, right? But it's still the Caesar of our day. I think our government probably caught a little wiser um, and the fact that our money, we don't have a coin that says there's no other name under heaven or on earth by which we must be saved. We, our, our government got a little wiser and put in God we trust on our money. But I think most of our politicians only trust in the money itself. <laughs> right? Um, so I don't have a dollar bill or a quarter here that I can quote from you for. But it's still in play. So those are the Caesars of the day. But it's not just the Caesars. Most of us, we get this, right? You, as soon as I had this up, you're like, oh, I know where he's going with this, and you know what the right answer is. But Peter didn't just pick on Caesar. Peter picked on the religious establishment. He picked on all the, the things that were influencing culture at the time. So he didn't pick just on the government. He picked on other forces as well. And I would say it's not just the government that we're, we're tempted to put our hope in. We're tempted to put our hope in Silicon Valley. Is it in the name of Zuckerberg? Probably not this week, considering how bad the Cambridge Analytica thing's gotten with Facebook, right, if you follow the news, okay? Um, but is it the name of Zuckerberg or the name of Jobs, right, or Cook, right, is now the, the CEO of Apple? It's Facebook, it's Apple, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, which is still owned by Facebook, so maybe we're leaning a little on the Facebook side. That there's, there's not some piece of technology that won't eventually solve every problem that we have. I mean, that's, that's the assumption that's baked into our society right now. But it's not technology. It's not another white software developer that's going to save us. No. These aren't the names under heaven and on earth on which we might be saved. They're not going to cut it. However, Peter also picked on the religious establishment. So let's bring it a little closer to home. Is it the name of Graham or Dobson under which we might be saved? Now, some of us, we might actually remember, well, it was at a Billy Graham crusade where I was saved. That's true. But it wasn't under his name you were saved. It wasn't under Billy Graham's name that saved thousands of people. It was under the name of Jesus. But that's always the temptation, right, in our culture not just our religious culture, but our culture in general. We attach to one person. We attach to one name, whether it's Graham, whether it's Dobson, or to bring it even a little closer to home in our denomination, what about John Wesley? What about Phineas Brzee that helped start the denomination? 
We all have these names. We all have these people that we gravitate to. And the, the danger in all of this is, is that we start following them instead of following Jesus. Let's bring it even a little more local. Is it under the name of Miller? Is it under the name of Burdett? Or God forbid, and I mean that literally, Pastor Matt? Right? What's the name under which you think you might be saved? It ain't none of those. None of those names have the power under which we might be saved. We all know that the only name, the only acceptable answer, that there is no other name except the name of Jesus. There's no room for any of those others. Take your pick. Whether it's the Caesars of today in D.C., the Caesars of today in Silicon Valley, or the leaders of the church or of the denomination, wherever they might be. It's only under the name of Jesus. And I like that, that, that phrase. There's no other name on heaven or on earth which they might be saved. It's really important, that word saved. And I want to take a look at that word. In Greek, this is what it looks like, which I thought was just, I don't know, I just thought that looked cool, so I thought I'd show you. Um, it, it's the word sozo. It's the word sozo. Um, if you're into theology, it's where we get the, the word soteriology. It's where we understand how it is that we are saved. And so it all comes back to this word sozo, under which we might be saved. However, that's not the only place that this Greek word is used in our text from today. Yes, it's used in verse 12, under which we might be saved, but it's also used in verse 9, when it speaks of the, the man that is healed. It's the exact same word. The man who has his legs healed, that man is sozoed. He is healed. He is saved, depending on how you want to translate it. So this goes to show, and Peter understood this, and this is why Peter stepped up, and this is why he spoke boldly. Because this salvation that we speak of isn't just something for some time out there after you die. This is a salvation. This is a sozo. This is a saving that has impact on how you live in the world we live in right here, right now, today. See, the man who was healed, he was sozoed. This wasn't just a salvation that was just going to kick in after he kicked the bucket. This was a salvation that, that happened right here and right now and that let him walk. See, God's salvation, this kind of salvation or another way that the Old Testament talks about it is his shalom, his peace, it affects us today. And that's the wonderful thing everybody that testified. We heard testimonies this morning of being saved. Not just about altar calls, but about bodies being healed. And that's exactly what this passage is saying. God saved that man. God saved the people that we heard testifying today. He saved them. Not just their spirit, but their very bodies. It's important that we understand that this salvation under the name of Jesus has to do with our bodies in the here and now, not just our souls after we die. And it's for that reason that Peter is bold enough to stand up and say there's no other name under heaven or on earth by which mankind might be saved except the name Jesus. And so with this understanding, we have to know that Peter won't back down. Peter won't call it quits. In fact, that's exactly what the Sadducees tell him to do. Um, after the trial, they go, they meet, they deliberate, you know, behind closed doors, and they come out, and they say, we're going to let you go. 
You've been in prison overnight. We're going to let you go. You go back to the disciples. You do whatever on the condition that you quit preaching and teaching under this name of Jesus. Well, we all know how well that turned out, right? And so they send them away. And then I love what happens next. If you look at the end or later on in chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, this is what happens. They go back and they gather with the disciples and then they pray. And this is what they pray. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats, talking about the Sadducees, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love that. They prayed for boldness. Now, y'all let you go, but you quit talking in this name of Jesus. And then they go and pray for boldness to talk about Jesus more, right? Peter was not a good listener, all right? Um, But that's what they do. They pray for boldness because they understand that the name of Jesus has a power, not just for later, but also for right now. And so they know, they, they feel the responsibility that they have to carry Jesus with them wherever it is that they go and to preach that name boldly no matter what. It's funny, I was reading a, a book this week by Andy Stanley that talked about this passage. Knowing that I was preaching from chapter 4 for this morning, I paid really close attention because he made the point, think about what we pray about. What do we pray for today in our churches? I don't know the last time, and I'm looking at myself here, right, as the one that does a lot of the praying on Sunday morning, When's the last time we prayed for boldness? We don't pray for boldness very regularly in our churches today. And if you've ever read an Andy Stanley book, you know that he's a straight shooter and he, he does not mince words. And he, he said, that's because we don't want it. We only pray for things we want, and we don't want boldness. What do we pray for? We pray for safety. That's what we pray for more than anything. That's the common thread throughout most of our prayers. We pray for safety, which would be an insult to Peter in them, which would be an insult to, to people around the world and other nations where Christians are persecuted day in and day out. But, but we here, where we have freedom of religion, we pray for safety. We don't need that. We want it. That's what we pray for more than anything. But we don't need that. It's not about safety. For goodness sakes, they could have been crucified, literally crucified for preaching the name of Jesus. And what do they do? They don't pray for safety. They pray for boldness. They pray for boldness. And I, I have to, I hear these words, and I, I think we've got to do the same thing. We, should, we shouldn't be praying for safety. We don't need safety. We need boldness. And I have to admit, if the goal for any of us here is safety, then we're in the wrong place. If the goal for you is safety and you want to follow Jesus, well, you can't do both. The goal isn't safety. If your goal is safety, you've got to get out because you ain't going to find it here. All I see time after time in Acts, for goodness sakes, Paul gets stoned. He gets beat within an inch of his life. He then goes back into the same city that they just drug him out of. The goal isn't safety. The goal is boldness. And so that's what we need to be praying for, not safety. We need to be praying for boldness. Boldness to carry the name of Jesus wherever it is that we go. For Jesus to be the point of everything that we do, One of my other favorite scripture passages is from Colossians chapter 3. 
And it says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's my question for you this morning is, are you living that way? Are you living boldly? Are you living boldly for Jesus? Are you living by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because as I, I mentioned in the, the quote in your bulletin this morning, you have to ask yourself, what are you doing that you couldn't do without God? If you're not putting yourself out there to be used by God, whether individually or us as a church, if we're not putting ourselves out there to be used by God, then what are we doing here? Because the goal isn't safety. We can all be safe on our own. We can all play it safe and just live a nice, normal, ordinary life. Or you can follow Jesus. Or you can have the courage to pray for boldness. And that's what we need to be doing this morning. We need to be praying for boldness. For God to show us a bold new direction for us to go individually but also as a church. The new church year starts here in a little over a month. We're about to cross off that last thing off of our list from this past church year. So the question becomes, what's next? And the temptation is always to play it safe. The temptation is always to trust in some other name that's not Jesus. Some other name that, that we know is safe. But that's not what the world needs. The world doesn't need our safety. The world needs our boldness because it needs Jesus. And so we need to live boldly through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us stand together as we close out with a word of prayer. Heads up, I'm going to pray for us for boldness, and I'm going to mean it. So if you want to get out before I pray for boldness, I understand, because it's probably going to clash with your need for safety. But I mean it this morning, and then we need boldness more than we need anything else. So let's pray together. Father, we, we seek you this morning in all that we do. We want this passage from Colossians to be true of each and every one of us, that while we meet together, while we admonish one another, while we teach one another, while we sing great songs, and all these things that we do on a Sunday morning, that it's, it's not just for, for our own sake, it's for the sake of the world. That as we gather together, we might learn how to do everything it is that we do in a normal week, Monday to Monday. That whatever it is we do on just a normal average day, that we can do it all in the name of Jesus. Because we know that's the only name under heaven and on earth by which we might be saved. And then that salvation isn't just about someday in the future after we die. It has to do with the right here and the right now. And because it has to do with the right here and the right now, we need boldness this morning. We need to be bold. We need to live a bold life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not a safe one. Not one that's predictable. Not one that never stretches us or keeps us in our comfort zone, but instead we need to live a life of courage, of boldness, in order that we might carry Jesus with us wherever we go and always be able to share him in this, this salvation for, for later, but also for today. And so God, as we go from this place, make us bold. May we live bold lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. May we commit to something that we cannot do on our own so that we can learn to trust in you, so that we can live a bold life, one of courage, 
one of which we have to trust in you. Not for our own glory, not so that we might be the name up on the screen next time this sermon gets preached, but so that we can point to the name of Jesus. Whether in word or deed, whatever it is, and all that we say and do, that we do it all in the name of Jesus. And so we pray in that name. We pray in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen and amen. Go in grace and peace.